my name is Adam Canal, and I am a collaborative composer. Join me in the search for a career in classical music. This is the Making Noise podcast. It's it's really weird. Like one of the things that they say in this documentary is um, even though you're not paying for these services, uh, what that means is if you're not paying for it, then that means you're the product. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I feel the same way about that as I did with. Um, I'm trying to remember. Is one of the big credit companies um, that does your credit report got hacked? I can't remember which one it was. Capital you... One or no? It was. Um, it was oh, like, oh, like TransUnion or something. It was. It was. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, was it Experian? Uh-huh. Uh, was hacked, and then they said pretty much everybody's public, uh, like pretty much everybody's personal information had been compromised with this hack. Mm-hmm. And I remember at some point I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, if everybody's personal information has been compromised, has anyone's information really been compromised? Because I don't know, it's it's like at some point, it's like I'm so used to, to hearing about my personal information ending up here and there and, you know, however many times my credit card has been hacked and I've yeah. had to get a new one. That's happened several times. And at some point it's just kind of, I don't know, it's not surprising anymore. Um, I don't even find myself getting angry about it the way I used to, just because I'm so used to it. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's the sort of interesting thing too. Cause then it, it, that, that almost makes it like commonplace then, you know? And I think it is. I, I mean, think, I really do. Yeah. Um, it it kind of makes me think about in 2008 with the housing market crash and how all the banks, uh, there was the bailout you know, and uh, the the common, the common people, the middle class, the lower class and everyone, right? Like they were the ones who got, their lives were compromised, but the banks were, they were okay because they got the bailout. Um, I, I, it, it makes me think of, I'm not saying they're the same thing, but it kind of just makes me think about that, you know, like these, these bigger corporations and companies and stuff that have this uh, in, impen- impenetrable, like, you know, wall that, I don't know, like people, people can't get through that, you know? And then it's, it's, it's impossible to separate the, the large corporations themselves from the people who use them. Um, I mean, cause we can all stand here, you know, on our, our moral high ground and say, you know, Facebook is not for me. I'm not going to use Facebook anymore, mm-hmm. but Facebook is an indispensable tool for a lot of small businesses who advertise through Facebook for people who sell things through Facebook, people who advertise concerts through Facebook. And so it's it's really, it's a complex issue. I mean, like the bank bailout, because, you know, nobody liked that. But then at the same time, what, you know, what would have happened if the banks hadn't been bailed out? Exactly. It would have been really bad. And so, yeah, it's just, it's so impossible to separate the two. You know, we can say like, we're tired of having our personal information constantly compromised through Facebook, through Instagram, through all of these Google, Amazon, all these huge corporations that know all these, you know, intimate details of our lives. But there's really, uh, I mean, it would, it would be very, it's extreme. It would be extremely complicated to think about the ways that we could restructure without them because uh, it would do a lot of damage to 
it really would do a lot of damage to a lot of lives and uh, a lot of people if they were suddenly not there anymore. Yeah, that I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's that's like um, I think the heart of a lot of it is is as as detrimental as a lot of this is. There's there's it's sort of a, a part of the system. It, I mean, it is a part of the system, and it's so necessary. Like you know, like you said, with um, uh, small businesses needing Facebook as a as a way to you know communicate and uh, provide services for their clients, and even in our industry as musicians, like. It's uh, um, we rely so heavily on networking in order to for opportunities and for us to to have a career, you know. So, and all that isn't to say that uh, social media and all that is inevitably a terrible thing, you know. It's not like we the opportunity to um, to like connect with people, especially people we haven't talked to or seen in a long time. You know, you and I are doing this right now because of social media. You know, like if Zoom wasn't a thing, I mean, I don't know if, it, is that considered social media? Zoom or Skype or anything? You know, I'm not actually, I'm not sure. I've always thought of social media specifically as um, kind of like a software you could like, like, follow, message and all of that. Yeah. And it seems like Zoom is a little separate from that because it's just a direct <clears throat> conference calling tool but um that's actually a really interesting question i'm not completely sure <laughs> yeah so someone recently um had said what, what what platform were they talking about oh god i can't remember zillow zillow as a social media like as their favorite social media platform i'm like is zillow social media like do you create a profile and like like each other's apartments like <laughs> i love that or i think one of my favorite funny things is the um uh venmo the money sharing app uh. because it is also a social media app and so whenever I log in, you know, just to send money to repay somebody for something, it shows me a list of all of my friends and it connects with Facebook. So it shows me all of my Facebook fan, friends, <laughs> who they paid and what they paid for, but not the amount that they paid for it. And it's kind of mesmerizing in its own weird way, because then I'll see people, oh, you know, my friend from high school who went off to college and started a small business is, you know, now receiving money from a client. And I can see that on Venmo. And it's it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know that I wanted to see that, but, <laughs> but now I can. Now you have that. Yeah. What what does that provide? Like, like genuinely, <laughs> what does that provide? I'm I'm, I'm a little uh, uncertain about that one. Well, I I'm not sure either. I mean, I for a long time I didn't understand the difference. I mean. I don't understand the difference between Venmo and then just other services you can use to just pay somebody money yeah. uh, for, you know, some kind for some reason. But um, I don't know if they were, maybe they were thinking if we can make a social media aspect to it, that'll somehow make ours slightly more appealing mm. than other money sharing uh, applications. And I don't know. I don't know if they've been successful in that, but I sure use it a lot. And I do look down and I see what my friends are paying for. So I pro it's probably working very well for me. 
That's so interesting. I, I, I don't have Venmo. I'm, I'm most likely going to get it because I know that it's, it's widely used and uh, I have a, a PayPal account. But um, I figured the more sort of options I have to make it easier for someone who needs to, if someone needs to send me money for whatever capacity, the more options available, that's probably better. You know? That's what I found. And because everybody has their favorite. Mm hmm. Um, do you do you operate with both PayPal, Venmo, or any other like what's another one? Stripe. Oh, I've never heard of that. I think uh, was is um is it Stripe? I don't even know. I I seen it on my uh, my 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 website. I use Squarespace to to host my website mm-hmm. and to sell things. They give you options like, do you want to use PayPal? Do you want to use Google? Or I think Stripe was a third one. I had never. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. But do you I do mean, you use several accounts or I have accounts at pretty much everything else. I mean, Venmo, PayPal, Facebook Pay, mm-hmm. um, Zelle, Cash App. Oh, Zelle, yeah, that's another one. Zelle. <laughs> yeah. So so to anyone who's listening and owes Aaron money. Yeah, send it to me. <laughs> yeah, you don't have an excuse. There are options. <laughs> I also accept cash or check. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Save, save everyone a little bit more money because then you don't have to pay transaction fees. <laughs> That's always such a bummer when you uh, when you're expecting like, oh, someone's gonna send me money, but then there's like a dollar seventy five missing because of fees or something, and you know, it feels like we're not making enough anyway. And then uh, just, yeah, <laughs> you're stripping away at it. <laughs> it's that that having to use that middleman that third party it's like that's how they make their money you know Mm -hmm. they make money by taking some of your money that (laughs) such a such an interesting tax exactly yeah (laughs) do you do you um because you have this teaching job is is this like uh your main source of income right now yes do you have full-time position okay um yeah, I teach. So I teach full time, um, technically forty hours a week, mm. give or take. Um, teaching clarinet lessons at Arkansas State University, um, and I also I teach one class, just clarinet techniques for music education. Mm. So it's future, mostly future band directors who are taking clarinet techniques in order to learn how to play the instrument better, so that they can teach it in their classroom. Oh, you're, you're, you're perfect for that. I mean, like you, you're so good with communicating and, and like, uh, um, cause I know when we work together and stuff and, and talking about the ideas that I would have and, and how you would communicate to me the way that it would like physically be working with like the embouchure or something like that. You, I remember you making it very clear and, and, uh, so it's coming like, I'm a non, I don't play a wind instrument. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so you write a lot for winds. I write a lot for winds, yeah. <laughs> Mainly saxophone. Blue, saxophone, yeah. bass clarinet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's great though. I think I think you're you're amazing for that. So you you you're te- you have a private studio. You teach the uh, the Ed Majors uh, clarinet technique. Um, wh- there was a third one in there, or I also um, teach clarinet ensemble which is, it's a little bit weird this semester because normally we would have a a clarinet choir Mm -hmm. for all of the clarinet players. That's not, can't really happen in the traditional way this semester because of guidelines about social distancing 
and because we're not actually, um, our guidelines um, at the university don't allow us to play together in a space, in an indoor space. Mm -hmm. So we would either have to meet outside, which is just logistically kind of difficult to handle with that many people. Um, so we're going to do a virtual ensemble, which that hopefully will be fun, but a little bit different than meeting together in person. Yeah, there, there, I can definitely see a lot of the the complications and barriers that that creates, you know, doing it all online and stuff, especially as an ensemble. Um, yeah, and we, I mean, we have obviously band and orchestra and other large ensembles here too, and so none of them can meet in the normal uh, capacity in person. So they're they're doing like the band is doing really they're actually doing like a creative projects semester. Um, which I think is awesome. And so you, the students get the chance to enroll in a creative project of their choice. Mm -hmm. So one of them is like chamber ensembles with just a few people that are playing together. Uh, one of them is actually composition. <laughs> so they write a piece for somebody else in the class and then get a chance to have it performed and workshopped. Um, so I met with them a couple of weeks ago to talk with them about um, writing compositions for the first, most of them for the first time. Um, but they get to choose and like, there's also like a history option. Um, and then one of them is like an education class, um, like a uh, education literature class, like music for middle and high school level students. Hmm. Um, so I don't know, it's, I think it's actually, it's turning out to be a really cool thing because they're getting these experiences they wouldn't have had, you know, if it'd been a normal semester playing yeah. even though it's really sad also but yeah uh that's interesting that's through the wind ensemble it's yeah it's through the band so it's yeah there's two bands and that it's sort of like you you choose your own adventure mm -hmm. um <laughs> based on you know what you're interested in and Oh, that's cool. That that's really that's so interesting. I mean, uh, I love that there's such a variety in that because, especially as a student, you're, you know, eighteen, maybe even seventeen, but like eighteen, nineteen years old. Like, like you're still you're trying things out. You're discovering new things and new experiences and stuff. And and uh, you know, I when I was when I was like seventeen. I wasn't going to go to college. I had no aspirations to go to college because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to study, you know? <laughs> and then, um, so like with that in mind, it's like what 17 year old really knows what they want to do for the rest of their life, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's, it's not to say that 17 year olds don't have a clue about anything, but like, that's a big, that's a tall order, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think that's so great that the, the ensemble is providing this, this track where it's like, yeah, try this, try that, do this, do that. And and then let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that as well. And I mean, I agree. It's, it's, I mean, the, the university system is so challenging because, you know, we have such a, you know, social, there's a lot of social pressure on young people and, you know, like that there's an expectation to go to college. Mm. Um, and it's, that's so, I don't know. That's something I think about a lot, especially working with a lot of young college students, some of whom are figuring out, you know, still, well, many of whom are still figuring out what they want to do. And like you said, it's a huge choice. Yeah. And um, 
and I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard because it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're making a huge financial decision to go to college, taking on oftentimes a whole lot of student loan debt, depending on, you know, where you choose to go and, you know, what your financial situation is, but choosing to, you know, take on a whole lot of debt to go to college and then you have to kind of figure out what you want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's something that when I was that age, I, I didn't think that much about, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I ended up going to college only because the, the local county college near me had like an instant application day. And uh, I never even took SATs in high school because I wasn't going to go to college. So like, why would I take SATs? But because it was a county college, you didn't have to take the SATs to get in. Once you were accepted, you had to take a placement exam to see if you need to take remedial classes or you can just go straight into like college algebra, you know. Um, And so, yeah, I went through that. That was my process. That was like my uh, I'm going to college now, like story. It, that's it was, awesome so so I, I don't actually don't know if we've ever talked about this before so you did you do like an associate's degree and then because I know you got a, a four-year degree um after that yeah I yeah I got my associates uh at the county college of Morris which is in Randolph New Jersey it's funny because the county college of Morris turns into CCM yeah you know? so then you <laughs> Cincinnati. exactly yeah and then and then um and it's funny too because after that I went to Montclair State University, which turns into MSU. <laughs> so I mean, there's so many weird. Uh, there's those two weird connections right there, where the abbreviation of the school also connects to a a well-known uh, Midwestern school of music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my path essentially. Was like I got my associates uh, for music performance and classical guitar. And then when I went to Montclair, I studied music theory and composition. Wow. So you got an associate's in in music because there's not a whole lot of programs that offer an associate's. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the county college I went to is a, a an exceptional school. And uh, I think in 2015 or 16, they built an actual music building with a recording studio and yeah i i was that's awesome (laughs) i was so excited to learn about that i mean it's yeah i I don't i I haven't looked into other um county colleges or community colleges but um part of why i went to that school was i lived in this county called sussex county but sussex county community college doesn't didn't have a music program so i had to go to the county college of morris instead and um fortunately Sussex County Community College paid for the classes that they didn't offer. Oh, that's great. So yeah. you were able to, you had that cost covered and then you could, you were doing it through the, the local, the local county one. Exactly. Yeah. So oh, like that's nice. any of the music classes I took, I didn't have to pay for it because uh, County College of Mor- or uh, the Sussex County Community College didn't offer it. So they covered it because I was a county resident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting little loophole right there, you know? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But it is pretty unusual. I mean, because I'm trying to think. I mean, where I'm from, I'm from Southwest Missouri. Mm-hmm. And where I'm from, there, I mean, I'm not aware of any community college anywhere near where I grew up that offered um, an Associates of Music, at least at the time. 
Um, I know they had music classes, but I don't think that you could, I don't think that there was any way for you to get um, an associates in music. I think you could just um, take, take some classes and then transfer to a four year. Like you would just take gen ed classes and then transfer um, to a four year and do your music classes there. So you got pretty lucky. Oh, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel so lucky. I, I am incredibly proud to have gone through that institution and uh, every, all of my friends, everyone I know that has studied there. I mean, they're, no one could say anything bad about it. You know, it was, it's just a great place all around. And uh, yeah, anyone listening who lives in North, Northwestern, New Jersey, County College of Morris, you want to study music? <laughs> Joe Bellotti, uh, Jose Bevia, Richard Gradone, all amazing instructors. They're, they're great people. So <laughs> a little, a little, a little plug there for them. <laughs> but so you, you've had such an interesting, uh, geographical lineage or whatever you whatever you want to call that like your geographical path you're from missouri right uh-huh yeah and then oh could you lay that out for me like or for yeah for yeah absolutely so i grew up in southwest missouri in springfield um which is close to branson if you follow the entertainment industry there's a lot of uh or there used to be a like Dolly Parton's show is based in Branson, Missouri. So that's where I'm from. Um, and then I did my undergraduate degree at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, which is just north of Chicago. So where you're living, about where you're living now, a little bit north of where you're living now. Yeah. Um, and then I went uh, four hours east to Bowling Green, Ohio for my master's degree. Um, and that's where we met. That's where we met. Yeah. And that's, it's pretty close to Toledo. Um, and then for my doctorate, I went to the university of North Texas in Denton, Texas, which is Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, and then now I've gone kind of Northeast up to Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is actually, it's pretty close. It's about an hour outside of Memphis, Oh, okay. Yeah. So that is a, a <laughs> just a zigzag, like. <laughs> and ironically, I am closer now to my relatives in Missouri, oh. geographically, than I've ever been before. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I went out and got all this education, then just came back, ended up pretty close to where I started, and. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's everything I could have hoped for. I I like to be close to my family. Uh, how how far away to... are you from your family now? Four hours. Four. That's not bad. That's an easy. That's uh, uh, not even a half a day drive. You know. Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah. You can go up and back in a day. Although I don't really like to do that, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's uh, four hours, eight hours, at least eight hours of driving, right? Because uh, accounting for any traffic or whatever. Um, There's no traffic. It's Missouri and Arkansas. <laughs> see, look There's at my, you can see my lack of understanding of the area that I've clearly never been there. So <laughs> yeah, I am really liking it so far. I mean, I'm looking forward to post COVID when I can spend some more time in Memphis. Oh. but um because there's definitely there's a lot to see in memphis but there the thing about arkansas it's it's um its slogan is um 
the natural state or it's, it's motto or not motto it's, but it's, it's handle, I guess it's mm. the, the natural state and it is gorgeous. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I hear people giving Arkansas kind of a bad rap, uh, uh, but to shut up. beautiful. The state is gorgeous and there's so much nature, um, hiking like you wouldn't believe. Mm. Um, and there's, um, and it's all really nearby. Um, so you don't have to drive very far to get out to some amazing hiking. Um, That's great. It's really, a, it's a, you know, just a physically beautiful place um, to live. Is it, is it kind of at the tail end of the Appalachian mountains? Mm, it'd be the Ozark. It's outside the Ozark okay. mountains. So okay. it's, it, it would be, it's technically not in the Ozarks region. It's to the east. Mm. And the Ozark Mountains are not really mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of bumps in the uh, in the in the ground or <laughs> Yeah. My understanding is that the Ozark Mountains are cuz I always wondered this cuz I grew up in the it's the Ozarks region and everybody, uh-huh. you know, like Ozark Missouri is right next to where I grew up. And you know there's the Ozark Mountains and everybody's always talking about the Ozark Mountains. And finally, when I was I was a kid, I asked my mom, where are the mountains? Because everybody's talking about them, but I don't see them. And she explained, well, the mountains are so old. They've been around for so long that they're not really mountains anymore. They're more like hills. Oh, it's interesting. Wow. So, I mean, there are they are there, but they're just not, it's not a mountain like, you know, you go to Mount Everest or you go, you know, to a real mountain range mm. um, and hike the mountains. They're just... <laughs> They're kind of big hills. Mm. So, so what what has been something for you? Because you've you've gone through uh, all these different states and had all these different experiences of like like geographically. What has that been like now that you're you're in Arkansas and you you know uh, clearly psyched about it, which is great. <laughs> um, but what what is it? What has that been like? You know, the flatlands of Ohio, city life of Evanston in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think I hear from people a lot that they they feel like they they could only survive in certain kinds of cities or places. Like I hear a lot like, oh, I'm a city person. I couldn't handle being in a smaller town or, um, you know, I have to be at least within driving distance of a large city mm. or um, or then the reverse. Sometimes like people tell especially people I know who come from smaller towns tell, you know, say things like I could never live in a big city. Um, you know, I couldn't handle doing public transit, all of the things that, that go along with living in a bigger city. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I've lived in a bunch of different places and each of them is unique and wonderful in its own way. Mm. And I've never, I, I don't feel that I've ever lived in a place that I didn't like. Um, because every place has its own, you know, idiosyncrasies, I guess every, every place has its own, um, its own people, its own music that gets played a lot, its own restaurants and its own culture. And I think it's really fun to move to a new place and kind of discover what the culture of that place is about. And Mm. as, as fun and engaging for me in a smaller place like Jonesboro, Arkansas, 
it's just as interesting and engaging for me as living in Chicago because, you know, you're not going to go to everything in Chicago. Like there's all this stuff going on, or at least pre-COVID, I guess. But, you know, even even with COVID, there's so much going on, but you're not going to go to all of that. <laughs> you know, you're going to go to, you know, a few things that really interest you. And, I, you know, I feel the same way. You know, there's things going on everywhere. There's events that happen everywhere. And um, there are different kinds of events for sure, but uh, they're, you know, you don't have to be in a place where there's an infinite amount of stuff going on in order to feel like there's events and concerts and activities that you can attend and be a part of and feel like, um, feel like you're really involved in the culture of your place. Mm, that makes, makes sense. Oh no, that makes total sense. I, I think, I think there's something in there where uh, I'm really curious about, I think a lot of people could benefit from if uh, do you, do you have any thoughts as to, Oh, see, I don't know how to ask this either. Um, <laughs> there's something about you that when you're in these places, what what is it that, um, see, I, I don't know how to ask this. Hmm. How, I guess, how, how, how are you finding the, like you said, there's nowhere you've ever been that you, you didn't enjoy. Right. And I'm sure you've experienced this at Bowling Green, but there were some people I talked to who were just frustrated about Bowling Green. Right. Mm -hmm. What is it that you do or is there anything that you do to try to ensure that you're you're finding the positive positive things about where you are? Like, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I've heard, I mean, Bowling Green, that's definitely the smallest place that I've lived. Um, Jonesboro is about twice the size of Bowling Green. Hmm. Um, but Bowling Green is definitely a small, it's a small, uh, maybe I shouldn't call it a town. I don't think it's a small city hmm. for sure. Um, and I heard the same things that you just mentioned. There's a lot of people I heard who said that they loved going to the university there, but didn't like being in the town itself just because it was so small that there wasn't enough going on. Um, and I guess my perspective, maybe one of the, one of the things that I have always thought is that um, when, wh wherever you live, you always are an active participant in creating the culture of where you live. You're not there to experience, you know, some sort of, you know, just general, you know, culture that everybody else is creating well, you know, you show up, everybody, you know, regardless of whether you're an artist, a musician, or if you are a realtor or you work in a completely separate business, but everybody's an active participant in creating um, the culture of the place where they are. So part of me, uh, when I think about a place the size of Bowling Green, thinks, you know, if you're not, in if you're not interested and engaged by what's going on there, you know, it's a town of 30,000 people you're one of them, go make something interesting. I mean, <laughs> go put on a concert that you want to attend, right? I mean, because that's, uh, you know, in a city, I think a city like Chicago or New York City, there's enough going on that sometimes, I guess sometimes you can forget that, mm -hmm. right? You can go out and just, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're going out, you're already part of the culture, but I think you you. Maybe, maybe what I mean is that it kind of takes longer to break in 
mm-hmm. a larger city as you get to know just because there's so many people there and so many events. But when you're in a smaller place, you know, there's opportunities there too. I mean, in a, you know, where I am in a smaller music department, I mean, we still have so many events. Like this week, we still have, I think, four or five concerts just this week at the university. And, uh, and this is, I mean, the town is 77,000. Um, but wow. there's also opportunities there because then, um, you know, like I want, I'm, I'm in the early stages of, of planning uh, my next recital, which will hopefully be next semester. But that, you know, that's one, you know, there, there I'm, I'm going to try to become part of the culture too. And, you know, perform, you know, the music that I want to hear mm-hmm. in Jonesboro and, um, and I'm looking forward to like, you know, my students putting on concerts as well um, and the various activities that they're interested in and putting, you know, the, the kinds of music they're putting together. That's all part of the, the culture of the place as well. So there's opportunities in smaller places. I think people are afraid and also in the new music community too. I mean, because a lot of us have lived in larger areas and have, you know, gotten the chance, you know, to go to like contemporary music events quite frequently because there's such a large population. There's more people interested in putting on shows, but contemporary music happens everywhere, you know? And that's, you know, that's something I'm definitely going to be performing a lot of here in Arkansas. So I guess that was a long winded way of saying that if you think of yourself as an active participant in creating the culture of where you live, I think you'll find that any place can be, an interesting and engaging place to live. <laughs> that was great. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, your response to my terribly worded question was fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's important because part of it, especially for, for the people we were interacting with, they were all grad students mainly, you know? And, and because they were grad students, they already had their experience wherever they went for undergrad and at Bowling Green. And, and sort of having that, I, I often, you know, it, it felt kind of um, cynical, you know? And, and, and what you're saying is so much more optimistic and, and positive. The whole idea of kind of, in a way, creating your own opportunities. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I remember when I was an undergrad, I took an entrepreneurship class and it, I, I didn't have to take it. I just decided to, because I thought, oh, you know, that's a a good thing. Like I need to learn entrepreneurship in order to become, I'm doing heavy air quotes because this (laughs) is a podcast, entrepreneurship in order to be a successful musician. And I'm not discounting that because- Um, because those tools are incredibly valuable. Um, And I remember in this class that I actually remember this very clearly. We had a guest speaker, uh, I think the third day of class, and the guest speaker was telling us, you you should all um, just go, you know, go out there and just do what you want to do. And so I left the class and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I dropped the class because... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> I was like this class is not doing anything for me I can go out and do the things that I want to do without I mean I can spend that you know the hour and a half 
you know, twice a week that I was in the class, I didn't have to be in to do the projects I want to do. Mm. And I'm not necessarily encouraging people who are taking an entrepreneurship class to drop the class, but, uh, but to some extent, I mean, I think I, I appreciate that he said that because it's true. I mean, you can take, you know, whatever entrepreneurship class, but you know, you just gotta just, just go out there, do what you want, present your music, share it with Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, you know, it's an attitude, you know, it's, it's, it's really an attitude. Like, you know, is your, is your idea like, how are you thinking of your art and what you're doing as how am I, um, I'm going to interrupt myself because I, I thought of a, a really good metaphor. Um, Please. When I read an article a few years ago, that was about, it was called women who rock. Uh-huh. It was about women who played rock and roll music um, throughout history, like since the 1960s. Um, and the article made a big point of saying, I wish I could remember who wrote it, but highly encourage you to look it up, said that the title was intentional, Women Who Rock, instead of Women in Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that women who perform rock music are rock musicians. Not that rock music is some big, uh, big, you know, behemoth that women have to somehow break their way into and join, mm-hmm. which is what is implied by women in rock. Mm-hmm. So I think there's... You, you can kind of take a lesson from that in how to um, live your life as an artist or as a musician, whether or not you do so professionally. Um, I mean, you could think of music as being like this thing you have to break into, you know, like, wow, we've got Beethoven, we've got Mozart, we've got huge big name performers, we've got orchestras, we've got these the behemoths of classical music, if you will, um, you know, that we've got to break into. Um, but instead, if you perform, compose, listen to, enjoy music or art in any way, then you already are an artist and you're already creating your own art that you don't need to, to I mean, you don't have to break in, you don't have to think about breaking into the system. And I think there's nothing that has illustrated that more clearly to me than the COVID-19 pandemic, because what we, the what we thought of as the behemoths of music, things like the Metropolitan Opera, major symphony orchestras, um, they can't perform or they can't perform at full capacity in the way that their structure is designed for. So many of these things that we've been, you know, thinking of, you know, in my performance degree for my undergrad, that was, you know, always the emphasis, you know, that, oh, you're majoring in performance, you probably want to play in an orchestra. And now, looking at the climate for large orchestras in the United States, um, it's a very different world than it was when I finished my um, when I finished my undergraduate degree. Because now, you know, looking at how many orchestras are struggling, I mean, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. It's really sad, and at the same time, it it really makes. I mean it makes you evaluate like what you view as being, you know, like the behemoth of music, what, you know, what, how I think about breaking into the world of music. Um, Because now, I mean, many of the orchestras that I might've played with may not make it through. I sure hope they will, but, um, but you're hearing things like the Metropolitan Opera, you know, is suspending performances until the fall of 2021. Um, And thinking about 
you know, all of the all of the work that all of those musicians have done to break into that system and how many people have wanted to and have been unable to. And at the end of the day, everybody's sort of been affected in somewhat of a comparable way. I mean, you've lost the ability to do your perform, you know, to have your performing career, um, at least as you planned it. And so, I don't know, it's, I mean, it's, tra it's, it's, it's tragic. Um, it's sad and it's awful. And at the same time, it's, it's like now, you know, everybody, we have to kind of re, we have to really rethink about like what music, I guess, what the industry of music is now. It's so different than, than what it was even just a year ago because of all the changes that have happened. It's, yeah, that's, um, there's so much, there's so much in what you just, what, you know, what you just said there with um, the whole, the whole issue with COVID-19 and and where the what where the music industry was and now where where it is today and where it's potentially going, which I think a lot of us are uncertain about. Um, and then even what you were saying earlier about um, not having, you know, finding ways to sort of create your own opportunities and and not allowing certain barriers that might be presented to prevent you from getting to where you want to go. Um, it's <clears throat> I'm curious with 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 your experience as as a grad student at Bowling Green, uh, your doctorate from UNT, and now a professor in Arkansas. What has it been like with you, with this sort of thing with your students? Like like, do your students come to you with these sort of questions, or like, do you have these sort of conversations with them? And you know, uh, the the landscape of what the music industry is and. Uh, you know, it's a heavy conversation. So I'm, I'm curious about that. It is. It's a very heavy conversation. And it's, it's, a, it's a, an interesting conversation to have. Um, in the context of where I teach, most of my students are music education majors. Um, the, I guess, I, I, the, one of the, the strange ways that music education works now that, you know, so much is online and it's really, it's hard to play in groups is that people I know uh, in the field who are band directors, orchestra directors, choir directors, they still have their jobs and they're still working for the most part um, because they're employed by K-12 and university systems um, with, there are exceptions and, um, I probably will mention that more in a second, but, but for, for people I know who are employed in music, teaching high school band, middle school band, or assistant band directing, choir directing, those kinds of jobs, those are ironically have been some of the most stable jobs in the music industry um, with COVID because those jobs are not being, those jobs are not being eliminated on the same scale that performing arts, like gig, gigging jobs, orchestral jobs, opera, those kinds of jobs have been eliminated. So, um, so with a lot of my students right now, I am kind of taking the approach um, of, you know, let's finish your degree because 
it's I don't in, in a weird way, this is kind of this is going to be a controversial statement, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think it's a bad time to be in school. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that is because even though the university experience is not going to be what it was if, um, you know, if we could meet in person and if we could do ensembles together and play together and be together in class, even though the university experience is not going to be the same, um, it's definitely better to be in school than to be trying to find a job in your field now in an economy where those jobs are not available. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in a way, I haven't addressed it as much as I thought I might, um, simply because I, I have a certain amount of optimism. We know that the virus will pass. We don't know when it will. Um, we hope it will be soon, but we do know that there will be a future without the virus. And at the point that that happens, there will be jobs in, um, especially in music education. Um, but we know, we know that there, there's an end to it at some point. Um, and so my focus largely has been, and, and this actually surprises me because I did, I, like you, I was thinking it was going to be more of a, a topic that was going to come up, um, come up with more frequency, but as it is, it's, I think we we've become we like it within my studio and with um, the people I've been working with, we've become very like present focused in terms of, you know, we have students who are here to finish a degree. We need to find the, the ways to give them the best experience now while they're in college and to get them, you know, to do our best to give them the, the um, experiences that they need in order to be successful uh, later on. Um, to the best of our abilities, online, socially distant, with masks, and all with all the precautions. Um, I guess time will tell if that's the right approach. Um, I, I do have, I do worry. I mean, I worry about, especially about students who are finishing their degrees soon. Um, but I also know that based on the students I, you know, I work with, that they're very resilient. Many of them have experience working in other fields already, mm-hmm. um, in other kinds of work. And so I am really, I am optimistic. I'm optimistic because I think my students are awesome, but I also think that they have, you know, if worse comes to worst and the, the teaching job, the music job that they are, um, they're hoping to get out of school either isn't available or it's much more competitive because, you know, more people are applying for it. I'm confident that my students will be able to find employment in some capacity until the time at which they are able to do, to find um, the, the kind of job that they're looking for. Wow. Hopefully not being too, you know, um, so like too optimistic, not realistic. I'm hoping that I'm not being, you know, non-realistic about it. I want to be a realist, but um but I do, I do believe it will pass at some point, and I do believe in the resilience of my students. I, I, I love the what you said about um, the the thinking of the presentness. You know, like just focusing on what's within our immediate reach. You know, and I was I was talking about this uh, I think yesterday with someone else about. Um, <clears throat> 
just prioritizing and focusing on the things that are within your control. And because there's so much external things that are happening right now that is out of our control and it's very easy to just, you know, it's such a, a, um, a racy time right now, you know? And I mean that in a sense, like things are sent people, like th- topics are sensitive. People are, you know, we've been cooped up for a long time and now we're still not, you know, like <laughs> the level of comfort is, is slowly, but still not there. Um, and I love that you're, you're, you mentioned that having that presentness and, and focusing on this is, this is what's important right now. Is that what you mean by that when you say like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's both, I mean, it's, it's out of, you know, immediate necessity, but also because that, I mean, for me, that's something I'm always trying to be better at is living in the present Mm. Um, because I tend to be extremely future focused to the detriment of the present. You know, I'm always thinking ahead to like what's happening tomorrow you know, do I have to do something tomorrow? Do I have to submit something tomorrow? How am I going to, you know, structure my day tomorrow? And I often do that, you know, to to the detriment of just living in the moment and enjoying the life that I'm living as it is right now. Mm. And I think, I mean, COVID is, you know, the precautions that we have to take in our, you know, in our department and in the state of Arkansas uh, because of COVID kind of, I think, force you into the present in a certain way, because um, like as an example, you know, the the class that I teach, I'm teaching online because the capacity of the class is too large for any of the classrooms, which, or the classroom, which we've been assigned. So, so I have to teach the class online and it's, it's impossible to get ahead of myself while I'm teaching online, because at any given moment, I have to be keeping track of the technology. Am I still connected to the internet? Is video turned on? How's the camera angle? Can they see what they need to? Keeping track of, you know, students, you know, okay, somebody sent me a message. Somebody also just dropped out of the meeting. (laughs) You know, I have these things that I need to get through. um, But then I have to, you know, if I'm not focused in the present, I can forget important things. Like, you know, for example, if I'm sharing a video, super irritating in zoom by the way that you have to check the share audio button (laughs) for the audio i'm always showing a video and then getting chat messages hey i think you forgot to to share the audio with that video um but but the point being if i get ahead of myself it always happens when i get ahead of myself you know that okay i'm going to show the video i get the video going and then my brain goes okay after the video you know we need to do this and this and this but if i'm not focused on the video then i you know will forget to turn on the sound, you know, I forget to do the, just the immediate technological things that need to be done to keep the class running smoothly. Um, so in a way it's, I think, I think that's a mindset that I could take past COVID is just, you know, trying to do my best work in the moment and to not, to not be thinking too so much about the future that I, I forget to enjoy the present. That's um, I could I can imagine that being quite challenging if you're very uh, forward thinking, you know, how 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 do you um, like sort of check yourself in a way to make sure that you're focusing on like, do you have any sort of 
little mind tricks you do for yourself or like put little post-it notes on the mirror and say, remember, right now matters. You know, like- <laughs> I'm a huge fan of timers um, because I'm the kind of person that will spend forever doing something unless there's a check on it. So I have been, I've been trying to be good about whenever I'm doing something, setting the timer. And then when the timer goes off, the task is done. And then I don't have to worry about the future because sometimes, you know, I'll be working on, I'll go, Oh, what if it takes me, you know, two hours to plan my hour long class tomorrow. And then I don't have time to do, you know, to respond to emails, practice or do the other things I plan to do. But if I, if I set the timer and if, the problem is that I don't stop when the timer goes off, That's, <laughs> <laughs> but at the very least, you know, the timer goes off then I know mentally like, Oh, I should have been done at this time. Um, it helps. It's not a perfect system, but, um, but it does help so that I'm at least trying to, you know, that I don't have to worry about, Oh, I'm getting to the next thing because it's on the timer. It's already going to happen when it's supposed to. That's great. I think I, I, um, you're in a way like having someone else tell you like, Aaron, it's time to stop now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think I think one thing is um, oh, real quick, by the way, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but I can go until 530 today. So we can go as long as you're ready to. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. You're not in Central Standard Time. Uh, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in Central Standard Time. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So so, yeah, I can go until 530. And then but if you need to go any earlier than that, that's totally fine. Just, you know. Send maybe the a little before that maybe like around would five be okay totally Does that give you enough that's totally fine yeah I, I mean i'm already psyched on everything we've talked about thus far so cool um, yeah i think this is gonna there's a lot of content we've already you you've already provided that i think people <laughs> will get a lot out of you ask good questions oh thank you <laughs> it's uh i it's it's fun to do this i mean it's so exciting too because like you know, we haven't even seen each other. I don't even remember the last time we saw each other, honestly. You know what I remember? I remember in Bowling Green, this is probably not the last time we saw each other, but I this is what I remember. We went to that coffee shop, um, Grounds of Thought, or Grounds for Thought, and there was that guy. <laughs> we oh were having God. this conversation in the noisy area of the cafe, and this guy got real mad because we were talking too loud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I remember that very well, and I mean, I am I'm I'm a loud person. I do speak very loudly. Like, <laughs> um, what did he say? He he came over and he was like, he put his arm down. He's like, I just wanted to come over and tell you, I'm leaving because you're so loud. <laughs> I was so mad. I was I, like, yeah, it's a restaurant, and we're not even in the quiet zone. We're not even in the study area. It was, well, even, it was, um, that was right next to where the counter was, too. Yeah, it was at the front. Where all, all the people are coming through, like, the doors opening and closing, and, like, <laughs> I, yeah, that, that was, <laughs> that was an interesting experience. <laughs> he must have been agitated about something else. Yeah, he probably was, you know. He, he probably couldn't get to all his emails in time, and it was... <laughs> You know, he decided to take it all out on us. <laughs> yeah, because we were having such a good time. Like, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that I I I remember that. That was a that was um 
I don't remember exactly when that was, but yeah, that might've been one of the last times we may have seen each other. Um, yeah. And that, but that's why I'm, I, I really like doing this. Like everything, you know, the people I've done this with so far are people who I, 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 I want to make sure I'm keeping in contact with, you know, and, uh, and I'm so grateful and excited that, that you wanted to do this. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, well, thanks for asking me. Of course, of course. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it's sort of one of those things like you were saying before about, um, uh, like working in the present, you know, focusing on what you need to do right now. And that was one of the thoughts that I had where I was like, I, I'm, I'm notoriously terrible at keeping in contact with people and like, even with my family and, and I'm not proud of that either. Like, you know, it's not like I'm purposefully trying to ignore people and stuff. I'm just not good at being, you know, keeping up and stuff. So, so this is such, just a great, you know, all that to say, it's a great tool to do that. Yeah. Well, obviously I have not been great about keeping in contact either. Oh. Um. <laughs> you you you're you are a a busy person you just started your professorship that's something i'm, I'm I, I would love to know is is um what what has it been like for you starting this this new job like you've been you've been in the uh uh academic music system and if you will for for a long time so you you've had plenty of exposure and experience of it but what is something about it that you um i don't know how to, how to ask that exactly like maybe you weren't expecting so much or um it's like oh this is you know i have to try to balance this in different ways now because i have this new priority or something you know oddly enough being a music professor is a lot more like being a music student than i thought it would be Really? Yes. Um, I think I had this idea. I mean, it's 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 directly linked to like the the behemoth of music idea that like you know, especially as an undergrad. Okay, my professors know everything. They're the complete. They're one hundred percent experts in you know in everything about their field. You know, they design their classes. They always know what's going on. They know what's happening. You know. And, (laughs) and I have to say being a music professor now, it's, it's, I, I I mean, I started as a student at some point, you know, I, when I was eight, I started piano, I was singing, you know, at some point I picked up the clarinet, went to college, got some graduate degrees, kept learning, kept learning. And then at some point there was just a line drawn and now I'm a music professor, but it's not like, you know, all of a sudden I became suddenly all that much more of an expert in my field as I was last year. It's just that I feel like I've been just sort of swimming along, learning new things every year, all the time. And then at some point, I, I kind of, I guess I transferred over to the other side. But um, but I don't know, that, that's, it, it surprised me a little bit because um, I think, to, I mean, music, music schools, universities are, you know, it, it's based on interactions between professors and students and everybody's part of that you know everybody's part of the culture I'm saying the same things again but uh, I mean I think I think as a student I had an idea that I I you know walk into music school and it's like 
it's all set up. You know, the professors made everything. They made their syllabus for the class. They designed, you know, all the teaching they're going to do. They, they're experts at all of this. And then I'm the student and I just walked in and I'm going to just like open up my brain and the knowledge is going to kind of <laughs> <laughs> just pour it right in, <laughs> you know, and then the skull closes back and then all the knowledge trickles back out when I have to take the exam. But, um, <laughs> but the point being that, um, it's, it's always, you know, it's always, first of all, it's always about the relationship between the teacher, you know, and student or students, um, depending on the format, but, uh, it's, it's, it, you know, in no way is it like that at all. I mean, I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like I'm still a student. Mm-hmm. And honestly, students come in, you know, every day, all the time with things that they've figured out that I had no idea about. <laughs> and so then I'm like, whose lesson is this really? And, and I think the answer is it's both it's a lesson for both of us, you know, yeah. all the time. And, and so I, I mean, I feel like it, the job title is different and, um, you know, now I can afford some things that I couldn't afford before, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but in terms of perspective, I mean, I'm still learning. Um, And, you know, it's like, I I guess I had this idea, you know, if you have a doctorate in your field, you know, everything about your field. Well, I sure know a lot more about my field than I did before I started a doctorate. Mm. But I don't know everything about my field. I mean, I think the only, you know, the, basically the difference is now I know where to go to find answers if I don't know them. I have a better understanding of like the resources that are out there, but I, I sure sure don't know everything at all. And um, so I guess in a way that's been the most surprising thing because um, I had this idea that you know everything was going to be you know it's going to be I'm going to make the switch over and everything's going to be different, but it's actually not. Um, and it's, I, you know, in, in so many ways, I feel like it's just a continuation of what I've been doing um, the whole time. I'm still a student, really, in a lot of ways. And on, on the converse, students are teachers in their own ways as well. You know, every class is its own unique experience because of what this, what students bring to the table. And I mean, I am, I modify syllabus course materials that I use quite a bit to be flexible, depending on who's in the class, how the class is going, um, because of what the students bring to the table. Um, and sometimes, I mean, students say things that are like, wow, I should have realized that, you know, it's like a dumb moment for me as a teacher, you know, okay, well, I'm I'm taking that now. And now, you know, (laughs) Now I know uh, something I didn't know before. Uh, so all that to say, I guess um, it's just, it's not the big difference that I thought it would be. It's, um, it's, just, it's a continuation of, of where I've been going. And I feel very lucky, extremely lucky to be able to teach, to work with students, to learn from students, um, to be doing what I'm doing. Wow. I, I love all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I want to sign up for your studio now. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have to say, like, from my personal experience, like I, I, and this is, I'm being very genuine too. I, I would be psyched to have you as a professor. 
And, and that is, that is honestly one of a very, was always a very important thing for me as a student, because I'm not going to even going to say what class I took, but I did have a class in my undergrad where the professor was so rigid and resistant to anything other than what she thought was. And I, I, one time I, I mentioned this thing, I was like, well, couldn't this be a pentatonic scale in some way because it uses this pattern and there's no leading tones, there's no, uh, whatever. And, and, and she was resistant to that. And then I was like, well, could it be both? Cause she had another thing in mind and, uh, she was still resistant to it. And I, and I, I kind of logged that in my mind. And then every time there was another discussion on something, I would, I would ask, and then she would always push back and there was never like a, a gray area. And she, essentially she couldn't be wrong. Hmm. And, and so from that point on, I was like, I, 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 I want, I appreciate, and I would like for my professors to be more okay with the fact that they're not always right, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so hearing you say that, it's like the flexibility and the openness to what your students, like what their experience is, what it is that they have to offer um, or, or, or things that they might need, you know, such, mm-hmm. such an important trait to have as a professor. That's so great to hear. It's like, it's like you were saying, but like, you're like a lifelong student then, you know? Yeah, that's how I like to think of it. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's interesting thinking about uh, your experience because there are considerations that brings to, at least to me, that brings up uh, considerations of women in academia, Mm -hmm. or maybe I should say women who academia, (laughs) 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 but but there's, and I, and I like, obviously I'm totally, I, I'm not, you know, any, any way related to the situation, but there's, um, it's, it's interesting thinking of like, one of the things that's, it's interesting to me being a young female professor is thinking about how many generations I'm removed from women who could not do what I'm doing now mm-hmm. or for whom it would have been, uh, insurmountably difficult. Um, because, my professor at the University of North Texas is amazing female professor, um, Dr. Kimberly Coldwebeno, and I've talked with her about this. Um, I am going to circle around to what we were, what you were talking about just a second ago. But um, she has a very different perspective on thinking about some of these things than I do. And she, um, her, her, she's always uh, her perspective has been that uh, she doesn't liked it she doesn't like it to be mentioned that she's a woman like a woman professor you know because she feels that using qualifiers like that like diminishes the value of the fact that she's a you know a person who is a professor of music and for me like kind of being her like musical grant you know not musical grant student musical student uh or sorry musical child you know I'm like if you're thinking generationally I have a very different perspective on that and I can recognize that for female teachers of some generations, the way that they teach is necessarily influenced by the fact that there may or may not be a lot of women working in the field or weren't when they first started. Um, So I know depending on the situation that sometimes uh, there is more or less pressure, there's less pressure today because there are a lot more women who are professors and so I have a lot, I mean, I feel that I have, you know, a seemingly infinite amount of freedom to teach the way that I want. 
and to know that I will be treated with respect by my students and by the other members of the faculty. Mm. Uh, but that's not a privilege that women, even just a generation before me had. Um, and thinking about women two generations before that, like my musical grandparents, if you will, um, there were so few women working in academia that I know that there would have been a lot of pressure, um, depending on their specific teaching situation, um, to prove that they were worthy of that position, right? That they had the knowledge and expertise, which of course they did. Mm. But there was a time not too long ago when women had to really, women had to do more to show, they had to, to show that. They had, they had to be cognizant of showing that. And so to make a long story short, I'm curious how much that played into your experiences with that prof particular professor at that particular time, who knows? But, um, but those are considerations that women who uh, hold academic positions do think about. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I'm sure that that might be in there somewhere. You know, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I couldn't know, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, from my perspective, like I'm, I'm a student, I was a student, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm trying to learn the material and I'm understanding it from, or I'm looking at it from the way that I understand it and not to say that one is right or one is wrong, you know, and, um, but uh, I only brought that up as a way to, to point out how uh, the importance of having an instructor who's able to to um, to be a, to 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 feel okay to say that oh I don't actually know the answer to that or you know um, uh, just to be wrong and I'm not saying I was right in that instance either um, but it was definitely a whole tone <laughs> it was it was all yeah <laughs> it was a pure whole tone and uh, you know we can't be having that this day this this day and age of the 21st century um, <laughs> but but yeah it's uh, you know, and, and like, I, that's something that I personally try to do as well with, with when, when I'm teaching, you know, is it's like, ah, this is as much as what I could say about this thing. Other than that, I really don't know, you know, and, 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 and like, I've had professors, uh, especially at Bowling Green who've said things like, um, you know, I'm not sure, but let me get back to you on that. And, and that I always appreciated because it was, they, they could just be honest about it. Like, yeah, I don't really know the answer, but like you said, I could figure out where to find it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, I think it, it plays, you're just the same way into, um, into the topic that we've been kind of circling around as we've been talking, which is like, you know, breaking into the, the big, you know, behemoth of classical music, because I think for me, approaching teaching this way is a way of sort of opening the doors, right? Because, you know, if I have it, I students all the time ask me questions I don't know the answer to, but I usually know where to go to find the answer or to find somebody who knows the answer. And so then that's a way of, you know, opening the doors to them because then instead of saying like, you know, oh, here's the answer or, you know, no, your, your hypothesis is wrong. Your answer is not correct. Um, only my answer is correct. Or, you know, to, to, yeah to present the material that way, I think uh, misses the opportunity to start a larger conversation that could result, you know, if, if they asked a question and I said, well, this might be the answer. And the students said, well, what about this? And then, you know, I say, well, I usually like to go to this researcher to find this answer, or, you know, here's an internet resource that has answers to similar questions. And then, you know, both of us, I think both of us benefit from that. And, 
Um, hopefully both of us learn from that. And then that way, you know, that student now knows, you know, if they ever have a student who asks the same question, they can say, oh, well, you know, I have this internet resource that, you know, will help you find the answers to some of these questions that you, related questions that you have. And um, just opens the door for more, for more conversation, ideally more learning. Yeah. Um, that's the goal. <laughs> I, I feel like this, uh, there's the, uh, what's, what's the school? Is it university of Arkansas? It's Arkansas State University. Arkansas State University. Okay, sorry about that. Don't talk about the University of Arkansas. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> no. I'm just gonna slowly back away. <laughs> um, they're, they're they're so lucky to have you, and there's so much that you've said in this conversation that I want to like. I want to personally send to them and be like, "You need to hear what one of your new faculty members is saying." Put this on the homepage of your website because she's about to make your whole clarinet and music program tenfold better, like <laughs> 10 times better. Well, we did talk about a lot of that in my interview, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because that was, you know, that was a, a big part they wanted to know about. Um, I mean, they asked a lot of broad questions. But they wanted to know about things like my, uh, my philosophy and my approach to teaching and and a lot of those things that we talked about came up, you know, in a, maybe a smaller, shorter form, but they did come up um, when I interviewed, which is one of the reasons I was really excited about this job because I like I did, I talked about, you know, the things that I was interested in doing, my approach to teaching and learning. And they said, thumbs up. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> we want you here. So, um, so I said, well, you know, <laughs> you heard it. I told you what I think. And so, um, so I was, I knew it was going to be a good fit. Mm. Um, That's great. I, 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 yeah, I'm so psyched for you. I mean, when I, I remember seeing it on Facebook as, as uh, you know, you, you hear most things through Facebook. Um, I was like, my first thought was like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way too. I mean, that, I mean that like, if anyone's going to be getting to these things, like Aaron is that person. And, but, and, <laughs> like two huge thumbs up to that I was I was so happy so happy to hear that well thanks so much yeah yeah of course but I know uh let's see it's 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 five o'clock so we can we can end it right there but is there anything else you want to kind of tag at the end or I mean you mentioned you have a recital next semester or um maybe something to say to the students or anyone you know anything the recital is going to happen at some point. I don't have, I don't, the, I haven't made a plan yet. Living in the present. <laughs> Live, exactly. Living <laughs> see in the what present. happens. <laughs> we'll see when it happens and what it's going to be. 